Good morning. Hope you guys are good. Good. I'm glad to see you. Um, how many of our college students are back in town today? Raise your hand. We're glad you guys are here um, to worship with us. It's always awesome to see you. And uh, it's always good. You bring so much energy and life to this church and, and uh, just thankful for that. I knew you guys were back when I went to Lowe's yesterday. And um, so we're glad you're here and uh, just thankful that, uh, that you're back with us. So today we're going to be in Acts. Uh, it's our last week in Acts, Acts chapter 26. Um, and as you're turning there, I do want to uh, make one announcement to you real quick. Um, we are uh, today... Um, rolling out something for you guys. Um, we have a, uh, I guess it would be a resource that we want to make available to you that we've just started using. Some of you may have heard of it before, but it's a, a resource called Right Now Media. Um, it's basically what I would describe it as sort of a Christian Netflix kind of thing, right? It's, uh, it's got over 18,000 videos, Bible studies that you can uh, uh, go to and you can watch and it can be a part of your study. What I don't want and what we don't want to happen is for it to take the place of your time in God's Word, um, reading and studying for yourself, but for it to supplement what you're doing. Um, so if you would like to um, use this resource, uh, you can go to our website and we'll have some other ways that you can get connected with this later on too. But today you can go to our website. All you got to do is go to connection no S, connection.church, and you'll go to, that'll be the homepage, scroll down just a little bit, you'll see Right Now Media, click on it, it'll take you to a place where you set up your own account, um, you'll have your own username, your own password, so it'll be your own login, you can log in there, and um, you'll just see, it's, it's, if you're tech, techno, technologically challenged, as I am sometimes, very simple, you log in, you'll see all these videos. You can go to the library. You can find anything you want um, that you want to study, men, women, um, whatever it might be that you want to study, you can find it there um, if you just go set that up. So connection.church, right now media, it'll take you right to it. You can get that set up. And so um, it's a really cool resource, and I hope you'll take advantage of that and that it will help you grow closer to Jesus um, as you study his word. Um, Really, really good teachers on there, too, so I think you'll enjoy that. So, Acts chapter 26. I want to read just the very first uh, three verses of Acts 26, and then we'll pray, and, and then we'll get into uh, God's Word and the message for this morning. Uh, before we read it, I do want to set it up a little bit. Um, we're about to read about the Apostle Paul, who, before his conversion, which happened in Acts chapter 9, he was known as Saul. Um, later became known as Paul. He, he met Jesus uh, in a very um, dramatic way, a very um, uh, powerful way on the road going to a city called Damascus. He was a persecutor, as we're going to see, of the Christians, of what they called the way. Um, and he was a persecutor of Christians. He uh, would imprison them. He would go from town to town imprisoning them. He would uh, even uh, consent to them when they were being killed and um, when they were being martyred for their faith. And so this is the Paul that we're about to read, read about. If you go back a few verses, you'll see where Paul had come to Jerusalem. Some of the Jewish leaders there stirred up some trouble for Paul. He was arrested. Um, 
He went on trial. In fact, he was in several trials or hearings um, before different people, before the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is their ruling body. He was um, before a man by the name of Felix um, defending uh, himself. He was before, and we're about to see he's going to be before, a man by the name of King Agrippa um, and a man by the name of Festus. These are all crazy names, but they're also very powerful people. Um, in the Roman Empire that he's standing before, not to mention the Jewish leaders who um, are there condemning him. And so we're about to read as Paul makes his defense against the accusations of the Jews um, in chapter 26. And so it says then uh, in verse one, then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All right, let's stop there and pray and we'll come back and we'll go through the rest. Lord, thank you. God, we just thank you for, God, first of all, who you are. It's for your character, your nature, your holiness, God, that you are perfect and you are a good father to us, Lord. God, uh, I just thank you also for what you've done, what you've done through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, that we can have life now because of him. We can have purpose now because of him, God, that you have sent your spirit into our hearts through faith that God, we can... God, follow you. We can know you, God, not just about you, but God, we can truly know you. God, thank you for that. God, I pray in the next few minutes, Lord, that we would recognize your presence here. It's not just us, but you're here, God. Open our eyes to see and give us ears to hear what the Spirit says, what he speaks to our hearts. And God, give us courage and boldness to respond to you and to worship you, God, as we see you more clearly. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a quick question. How many of you, and you can be honest about this, how many of you, if you are honest, would say that you are a glass half full kind of person? Glass half full. Anybody? Anybody? All right, either you're not raising your hand or we have a lot of pessimists in here this morning. How many of you would be honest enough to say you're a glass half empty kind of person? Glass half empty. I would admit that that can be my go-to. I have to remind myself of all the good things that uh, are in my life and, and uh, how good things are and sometimes how much worse they could be, right? And uh, so I have to remind myself of that a lot of times. And so um, it's a different perspective, though, right? When you look at things and you see uh, the glass is half full, you see something a different way than someone who looks at it and sees it as half empty. And so it's a way of seeing. Um, I want you to be able to see this as the Apostle Paul is standing before Agrippa and Festus and all of these high um, um, powerful Roman officials, all of these powerful Jewish leaders. I want you to see Paul's perspective in this. And I believe this is what God has really been putting in my heart for this morning is that we need to have a shift in our perspective. 
We need to have a shift in our worldview, how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see our reason for existence. And as we start out in chapter 26, we see that Paul, he, he, he begins talking to King Agrippa. He knows that this man could kill him with, by saying one word. Um, he knows that this man could set him free with saying a word by his choice. But Paul is standing there. He's not intimidated. He's not afraid. In fact, it says that when he speaks to King Agrippa, his words are, I consider myself fortunate to be standing before you today. Isn't that kind of crazy, right? How many of us, honestly, if we were standing there, knowing that we're on trial, knowing that the end may be near, knowing, uh, not knowing what the future holds, could truly say that we stood there and saw the situation as a good thing, that we saw the situation as being fortunate to be before King Agrippa. And yet Paul sees it this way. I want us to recognize in this that for Paul, this was a really good thing. Because of the perspective he had, he sees it very differently than probably what we would see it. He sees it very differently because Paul saw everything in life as an opportunity. He saw everything in life as not just an opportunity for self-improvement. Um, he didn't see it as an opportunity uh, for self-preservation. He saw it as an opportunity to share Jesus with other people. And so his worldview didn't consist of him thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm in a tough situation. In Paul's mind, he's standing there thinking, I have a platform and an opportunity to speak to some of the most powerful people in the world and share the gospel. Here's, here's what I realized, though. I realized this about myself. I realized this about the church in general. That's not how our mind works. That's not what we think about. When a trial or a difficulty comes along, it's typically not our go-to to think, this is a great opportunity to share Jesus. This is a great opportunity to tell about the love of God. When we look back and, or look a few weeks ago, if we go back to when Paul was converted and we looked at all that Paul went through in his life, the beatings, the shipwrecks, imprisonments, ultimately having his head cut off for the gospel and the, the, his faith in Jesus, we ask the question of why did he do that? And I would today ask the question, why was this Paul's perspective? And I go back to really the same thing, is that when Paul, as a persecutor of the church, met Jesus face to face, and instead of being condemned, instead of being killed, he was given life, he was given hope. I don't think Paul ever got over that encounter. When he received the Holy Spirit inside of him, and he knew he was one with God, one with Jesus, it changed his entire perspective. He began to even see the Old Testament, all of the Jewish laws and all of the prophets from the Old Testament. He began to see them differently. He began to realize that he had been persecuting the very one that they were pointing to. And he started seeing things completely different. 
And so Paul's able to stand in front of these men, these powerful men that at this time seemingly hold his life in their hands. And he's able to stand there unintimidated, not afraid. And he's able to stand there and consider it a fortunate situation that I can speak of what Jesus has done in my life to these men. He sees it as an opportunity. He knew the love of God. He knew what had changed his life. He knew God had given him a new heart. He knew God had given him a new way of seeing. And for us, the church, listen, we've got to come to a place where we allow the truth of God's word to renew our mind so that our worldview begins to change how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we view others, and how we live our lives because our purpose comes into alignment with God's purpose for us. See, we don't look at things the way that Paul did because we don't live and allow the truth of God's word to change our minds. We still see as the world sees. We still think as the world thinks. So we don't come to scripture to check it off of our Christian good boy or girl to-do list. We come to scripture so we can see the glory of God, so we can see who he is and what he's done through Jesus so we can come to him and see who we were as sinners and who we've been made as saints, so we can see our true purpose and that now that we've been set free from our sin, we've been made alive in Christ. I'm no longer bound to the pattern of this world. I'm no longer bound to see the way the world sees, but I've been set free to fulfill the very purpose for which I was created, this purpose that has never changed. You go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God wanted this earth to be filled with his image, to be filled with the glory of his image. How was he going to do that? He was going to do that through us. I want you to see today that that intent has never changed, that God is going to fulfill his purpose, that you and I have opportunity if our minds are renewed and we can get away from the pattern of this world and how this world sees and we can gain a new perspective of who we are and why we exist, we could see in our generation the gospel of Jesus Christ going to every nation, not just flooding Statesboro, Georgia, or Vidalia, or Millen, or Dublin, or Pooler, but flooding the earth that God's original plan in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 can be fulfilled, listen, in our lifetime. But the church honestly has got to get its head out of its, that place, so that we can see clearly why we're here. See, we walk around purposely, purposeless. We walk around frustrated. We, we do all these things and we just perpetuate it over and over and over again. Why? Because we don't really understand why we're here. We're tossed to and fro by everything that comes along. Why? Because we're not standing firm on his truth and who we are in Christ and who he is. And why, we're, why we exist. Paul goes on in chapter 26. He says, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. 
from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify if they're willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee, who's a Jewish religious leader. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So he brings up this point of contention that Jesus is no longer dead, but he's alive. He brings up to them, he says, listen, King Agrippa, I want you to understand, this is why I'm here today. It's, it's not because I've done anything against the Jewish faith. He's saying it's because I believe, King Agrippa, that what they have looked for all of, of these generations has now been fulfilled in Christ. He's saying this is rooted not uh, just in the beginning of, of Jesus' life in Bethlehem. It's not even just rooted in the prophets in the Old Testament. It's not even rooted in Genesis 1 when God created it all. He's saying, King Agrippa, this is God's plan from before the foundations of the earth. He's saying, this is how I was brought up. He's saying, I, this was my worldview, that I was looking for this Messiah. I was looking for this king to come. He's saying, this was what we were hoping. He says, now this is the source of my hope. And what he's wanting them to recognize is this, that all that they had studied, all that the Jewish people had talked about, that it was now fulfilled in Jesus. And now Paul has found his purpose, his identity. He has seen God clearly in the purpose person of Christ so that now his perspective on everything has changed. He's gone from persecuting the church to building the church. He's gone from persecuting Jesus to worshiping Jesus. And he wants them to see that this was my worldview. This is how I saw. This is what I thought. But now all that's changed because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. So it all changed. He says in verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. See, Paul now begins to tell them about his past way of life. He begins to show them, look, this is what I did. I was completely against the church. He, he begins to tell them and show them, look, I, I tried to stomp it out. I tried to, to, to squash the name of Jesus. I tried to squash the church and this movement that had begun. And he says, this is who I was. He's saying basically, look, I was so zealous for God that I persecuted, that I went after, that I tried to stop it. And I think about this with the church. I think about with where the church is at, the church as a whole. It's like we can be zealous for a lot of things, but so many times our zeal doesn't really lead us closer to God. 
We can be zealous in church even. We can be zealous about a perfect Sunday school record or or perfect church attendance or never missing connect group or I serve. I can be zealous about all these things and yet my zeal and in my zeal, I can miss the whole point of knowing Jesus. And in the church's zeal of do's and don'ts, we've missed the greatest part, which is a relationship with him. We don't walk in his love. We don't walk in his spirit. We don't walk in his grace. We walk in this mindset that's been established from generation to generation that if I just go to church, I'll be a good person. And maybe I can make up on Sunday what I did Monday through Saturday. Maybe I can clean that up and God will give me a pass. But I want you to see today that God is not interested in just our good deeds. He's not interested in trying to modify our behavior. God is interested in us coming and being and colliding face first into his love, into his grace, so that our heart is changed, coming to his truth and seeing that it has greater authority, that it becomes the greatest authority in our life. So that now I've come to faith in Christ. Through his spirit, he gives me a new heart. And through his spirit and his word, he begins to renew my mind. I might have been this, and I was zealous for all these things. And now I've come to the realization of who Jesus is. And my zeal is for him. My zeal is is, is in him. I find myself in him. I find his love is about receiving it. It's about walking in it. My courage, my boldness, my everything comes from him. And the love I receive compels me to go to others. I no longer sit idly inside four walls of a church and think I've done something good, but I live my life in awe of the one who saves me. And now I can't help it, but it's cause it's like fire shut up in my bones that I have to go to the world and tell about the one who's changed my life. His perspective changed. He, he was this and now he's that. His life was different. He was dead in religion. He came to life through a relationship with Christ and the spirit working in him. It changed his view. It changed his mindset. And see, here's what's easy to happen for us. We read this and we look at it and it's the apostle Paul. And we rightfully so, we're kind of like, oh, right? It's the apostle Paul. And so we, we kind of stand back and we're like, man, that was Paul. And granted, Paul had a call on his life as one of the first apostles and he had authority that we don't have. Like, we're not gonna write scripture, right? But we need to see that while Paul had a special call on his life, his purpose was not unique in that we are all called to be a part of this movement that Jesus began and that the Holy Spirit is continuing. And I want you to see today that just as Paul was a chosen instrument of God to take the good news of Jesus to the world, I want you to see today that so are you. God saved you because he loved you and loves you but your purpose is much bigger than even just that relationship. Our purpose is to bring God glory throughout the earth, that every square inch of the earth is filled with his image through the power of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul then goes in in Acts chapter 26 and he begins to tell them about the moment of his conversion when he comes to see Jesus. He comes to realize who Jesus is. He was on the road to Damascus. It says in verse 13, it says that he was on the road and he said, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. He said, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see. Jesus goes on and tells him that he will rescue him from the Jews and the Gentiles. He goes on and tells him that he's sending him to open the Gentiles' eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified or set apart by their faith in Jesus. And so he says, I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven, King Agrippa. He goes on and talks about how he was he, he preached the gospel basically in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Judea, then to the Gentiles. He said, I preach that they should repent and turn. And I want you to hear this as he goes through. He says in verse 23, he says, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now listen to this. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with the things that, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. And listen to this. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can convince me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. I want you to try to put yourself in his place. He's standing, as we mentioned, before these powerful men. He's sharing his story of how Jesus saved him, changed him, how everything he sees now is different than how he used to see. He gets to this one point, and this man by the name of Festus yells at him and says, Paul, you're insane. Your great learning is, is driving you mad, Paul. You've lost your mind. And yet Paul is not intimidated. He's not afraid. He's not deterred. He keeps on. He even goes to Agrippa, and he says, do you think, or he says, do you believe the prophets? He says, I know you do. How is it that Paul in this situation 
had so much confidence to stand before them and to continue to share the gospel? How is it when they say you're out of your mind and you're insane that he continues to stand there and share the gospel? I believe it's because Paul knew how big God is. See, so many times the reason we don't go, so many times the reason we don't share is because of our fear. And many times it's due to our fear of man. It's due to the fear of what they will think. It's due to the fear of inadequacy. What if I don't get it right? It's due to the fear of failure. What if they shame me? What if they reject me? But the thing I believe that happened in Paul's life is that he was a worshiper of God. And when we worship God, whether it's in here or whether it's in a private place, whether it's in our car, our apartment, or wherever it is, what we begin to do is we begin to declare the nature and character of God. We begin to declare his works and the miracles and the things that he's done. We begin to declare his goodness to us. We begin to set our minds on him. And what that begins to do is it begins to magnify God. And God begins to become clearer to us. And as God becomes clearer to us, we begin to see how big God is. And then when we see how big God is, you begin to get smaller. You you begin to see other people as smaller. People no longer have control over our lives. We're no longer afraid of failing. We can take greater steps of faith for God because a failure or a success does not determine our value or worth because my value and worth are tied up in Jesus. My value and worth is displayed on the cross that God valued me enough that he gave his life for me. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took my condemnation. He took my judgment. He took the Father's wrath so that I could be set free from all of that, so that I could have life. So my value, my worth, who I am is not tied up in someone else's opinion. It's tied up in the truth of God's word. And so it sets me free to do what God puts in my heart to do, to do what the scripture tells me to do. And they might think I'm a little strange. They might think I'm a little weird. They might not understand why I get passionate when I talk about the gospel, but that's okay. They didn't die on the cross for me. And see, here's here's what I think changes our perspective. I don't think I know. It's, It's when we look to Jesus. It's when we look to Jesus and we see who God is, his character and nature. It's when we realize how big God is. Because if you think about it, If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who cares who's against me? If God is for me and he defines me and he determines my purpose, who cares what the person next to me thinks? Who cares what the person next to me, his opinion of me is? Now listen, I think we should care what people think. I think we should because we want to be able to share the gospel. We want them to hear our hearts. But there's a difference in people and caring what people think and allowing their opinions to drive us. There's a difference in in, in caring what they think so that we can show them the love of Christ. If someone thinks I'm a jerk, they're probably not listening to me. But there's a difference in that and letting their opinions and their thoughts and what they say determine who I am or how I live. I'm just telling you, this is something that's not gonna happen 
in just one moment. It's something that God does over time, but our perspective, our worldview has to change so that we, like Paul, can begin to see more clearly who God is, who we are, and why we're here. That every moment, every second of our life is an opportunity to share the gospel. When Jesus becomes the center of our life, the source of our life, then our purpose becomes more clear and our purpose becomes the focus of our life. See, college students, you're not here just to get a degree. That's a good thing and your parents are hoping you do it quickly. That's a good thing, but you're not here so four years go by or if you've been here a while, two years or a year just goes by so you can get on with your life. God puts you here. It's not an accident that you're here. You're here because God wants to use you in your time here to help glorify him in Statesboro, Georgia. To go into the darkness and to shine the light of Christ, to be courageous and bold, to not worry about what a professor says or how they say that, 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 that this is all, all false or how, trying to make the world relative, that there is no truth, that it's just whatever you think it is. Well, if there is no truth, then why are you trying to establish a truth? That there is no truth. There is truth and God's revealed it to us. The truth is not just something that we create. The truth is a person, Jesus. We can see him, we can know him, but I can stand firm in the truth. You're here for a reason. Those of you who are from here, you're here for a reason. And it doesn't just stop with Statesboro. It goes to the ends of the earth. We've been given the greatest news that the world's ever heard. But until our perspective changes, until our mindset changes, we'll never fulfill the purpose that God's given us. Until God becomes bigger than man, until we realize that my responsibility is not to make them get it, it's just to share the love of Christ. We'll never fulfill our purpose until we begin to see everything as opportunity. And listen, this is for me too. You, you get to see about the best 40 minutes or so of my life on Sunday. It goes downhill from here. That's my kids. I got two of them that sit in here and listen to me now. Or they're here. I don't know if they listen. But our mind, it's got to be renewed. Our hearts have got to be set on fire. We've got to begin to see the way God sees. Our perspective has to change. We've got to see the love of God for us, the spirit of, his, the spirit of grace working in us, compelling us to go to the world, compelling us to do what we were created to do, but we can't do it unless we're walking in his spirit. God's given us this great opportunity he's given us this great calling if we're in Christ he's called us to this he's called us for this purpose I really believe this guys the church spends too much time sitting inside four walls and we, we argue over 
doctrinal issues and we squabble over fine lines of theology and we let these little schisms divide us and and we're all scattered about and we're all in different places and we all want to build our own kingdom and, and we're all worried about all of these things. Our perspective has to change. As the church, we've got to see that Jesus is bigger than our petty issues. Listen, there's some hills that I'll die on, but there's some hills that I'm not going to die on. The church as a whole has more that unites us than should divide us. But we won't get out of our holy huddles long enough. We won't lift up our eyes long enough, see long enough the glory of God. Because if the church would quit looking for somebody to complain about, if the church would quit looking for somebody else that they can try to put down or put to shame because of their theology, if the church would quit looking for people to reject because they don't think like I do, and the church would put their eyes back on Jesus, We'd be so in awe with him and his love, his grace, and the power of his spirit working amongst us that we forget about all these little petty things that separate, that divide, that take up all our time. And we'd start looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the giver of our mission, the giver of our purpose, the giver of our identity, the giver of every good and perfect gift in our life. And we'd be so in awe, so amazed, so driven by what he's done that we find ourselves not in need of fighting over stupidity and and stupid little things, but we'd be united as Jesus prayed in John 17 and we'd be an unstoppable force in the world so much so that the gates, the authority of hell would not be able to stop it, would not be able to contain it and we would be able to see the earth truly fulfilled with the glory of God's image from one end to the other. See, we, we can't do that if we don't see him clearly. We can't do that if our identity is not wrapped up in Christ and we're defined by the world. We can't do that if, if we don't understand our true purpose here. We can't do that. We miss the joy. We miss that the circumstance doesn't define me, but everything is an opportunity to share the gospel. We miss that. I miss that. We've got to see it. Last Sunday, I had a couple come up to me who I love. They love me. I know their hearts. And they said, uh, you know, we want to apologize to you. It's like, okay. I didn't know you did anything wrong, but okay. So they said, you know, we saw something that someone wrote online that was pretty bad about you. They knew the person, and so they were like, we felt really bad that it was on there, and we wanted to apologize for that. And I was like, well, you don't owe me an apology. It's like, it's not your heart. It's not the first time. It's not the last time. And I can tell you guys this, that five, six, seven years ago, I would have searched the Internet trying to figure out what they said. I would have been like, what did I do wrong? I did something wrong. They don't like me. Everybody doesn't like me. But after that conversation was over, I can honestly tell you I walked away and that was it. It was over. And guys, here's why. 
Whoever wrote that, they didn't die for me. Whoever, listen, whoever wrote that didn't appoint me here. Whoever wrote that didn't call me. Whoever wrote that doesn't even know me. Whoever wrote that doesn't define me. And I'm not going to shrink back in fear because some religious bigot said something about me online. In fact, I love you. But guys, listen, for so much of my life, that would have driven me. It would have tossed me to and fro. It's not because I don't care. It's just that God's bigger. It's just that God's bigger. It's not that it doesn't hurt a little bit. It's just that God's bigger. When I'm in awe of God, I don't really have time to put my eyes on things that maybe aren't as pleasant as I like for them to be. And that's my prayer for this church. The one thing that's been going over and over in my heart over and over again the last few weeks is as a church, we've got to recapture our awe of God. We've got to pray for God to open our eyes that we can see him clearly, that he can redefine why we're here. He can redefine who we are. And that our worldview will be centered around him, not us. Many times we don't share our faith. We don't go boldly into the world and share the love of Christ and tell people about the great hope we have in him. It's because we feel inadequate. I want to encourage you today that If you're in Christ, you have a story to tell. You have a message to proclaim. In Acts 26, we see where Paul is standing before these powerful men. Paul, who wrote much of the letters and the words that we today know form our doctrine and our theology. He could have told them anything. And what did he tell them? He told him his story with Jesus. He told him his testimony of how Jesus had worked in his life. He told about his life before Christ. He told about how he met Christ and he told them how his life's been different after. And I wanna encourage you. I know sometimes we feel like, well, I don't have that amazing testimony. This is what I can tell you is that we're all in the same boat apart from faith in Jesus. We're all destined for eternity apart from God. We're all lifeless, purposeless. And we've all got a story to share if we're in Christ. Pray that God becomes bigger, our minds become renewed, our worldview changes and that we become bold 
to tell others about what Jesus has done, to share our story of Jesus' life-changing power with others. Today, you may not have that story because you've never been in a relationship with God. You've never been in a relationship with Jesus. It's where I know people are at today. There's some people here who are in that place. And my prayer, and I believe God's heart is that your eyes would be open to see him today that today would be the beginning of your life with Christ, that it would be the next chapter, the conversion moment like Paul had on the Damascus road. You may not see a light brighter than the sun, but I believe God still speaks to our hearts in the same way. And so today I, I just wanna give you an opportunity to acknowledge what God may be doing in your heart right now. And you know that today the Lord's drawing you to a relationship with him, to trust him, to be your savior, to be the Lord of your life. Say yes to a relationship with him, to walk with him. And today's the day of salvation for you give you an opportunity to respond to what he's doing. Today you say, I know the Lord's speaking to me. I know the Lord is calling me to him. I'm gonna ask you where you are. Would you raise your hand and say today, that's me. Raise it up high, stick it up high, amen. Amen. Today's the day of salvation. Where, who are you? you know, this is something to celebrate, not something to be ashamed. For the rest of us, I want to ask you, maybe your life and a big part of your life has been driven by honestly fear of man and I know a lot of us would say I'm not afraid of anyone but certain areas I think we've all probably faced that maybe it's been driven by a fear of man a fear of what other people think and maybe in a lot of ways that's driven your life today I want to pray for those of us who have struggled with that who do struggle with that pray for us as we face that in the future so today I just want to ask you this if you today would say God I just I just want to see you more clearly God, I want you to be magnified in my life I'm gonna ask you right now would you stand with me would you stand to your feet today we're gonna declare that the fear of man has no hold on our life. That we can love people with great boldness, even if they don't love us back. That rejection has no hold on us. Father, I thank you for that, that rejection has no hold on us. That the emotion of others has no hold on our lives. 
that we aren't determined by how others react, how others respond, God. We, we aren't looking for others to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We wanna hear those words from you. Lord, help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see who you are and what you've done, who we were, who we've become. Let our mind be renewed to see, to have a different worldview, a different perspective, to see every opportunity as an opportunity to share the gospel, to see everything holds that opportunity. Lord, we love you. Fill us with your spirit.